morning, everyone. Woo. Yes, we're good. <laughs> well, this morning we're going to be talking about forgiveness and creativity and the powerful combination that there is between the two things. And um, the fir- um, there's an artist, who's Pauline uh, Keel, who says this, the first prerogative of an artist in any medium is to make a fool of himself. So today, that's what I'm going to be doing. And, uh, well, it feels that way. I'm going to be sharing with you the, the things that I have created and why I created them and what's all going on there. And, and the thing is about all of this is, the beautiful thing about this is it's metaphorical, right? So not only did I think certain ways to create them, but hopefully as you look at them and see the meaning behind them, we'll have your own take on them also. So maybe someday you can come here and talk about my art. No. <laughs> so what we're going to do is, um, um, I'm going to talk a little bit first about what I had to forgive, just to give a context of uh, why I created what I created. Then I'm going to talk about a little bit about creativity, what it means and how it plays into forgiveness, and uh, why it is a thing that I have. Uh, next slide. So this is, uh, this is our story, of course. And uh, we all know the story now, and I'm not going to um, spend a lot of time on it, but the fact is that uh, uh, people on the internet can't see what's on the, f- on the slideshow here. So I'm just going to really summarize it verbally very quickly. Um, the reason that we uh, needed to forgive and had, uh, had this experience is because of trauma we experienced on November the 30th, 1984. So Candace was 13 years old when she didn't come home from school. She was uh, supposed to come home from school. It was a camping friend, which, who she hadn't seen for a little bit, and so they were going to have a reunion and get together. So that was a very exciting concept. Uh, on uh, so dramatic time, over, over, uh, all over the, uh, uh, getting over this kind of thing, because uh, we didn't have an arrest until 23 years later, when Mark Edward Grant was arrested for her disappearance, he was acquitted of the crime. And now we have a new addition, maybe some of you have seen it in the news or heard about it, is that there's a civil suit against the fact that because he was acquitted, um, there was, uh, it was all done maliciously. And so now he is, uh, and they're suing for $8.5 million. So that's the story that's happening uh, now. So some things that I had to forgive, and this looks like a very formal list. And uh, I have to tell you that there's lots of other things I have. I had to forgive that Candace was murdered by somebody of my own race. How is it possible? It wasn't an accident. It wasn't, you know, a disease. She was killed by another person, uh, another human being. And that forgive the murderer, whether I knew who the murderer was, for 23 years we didn't, but we were working on the forgiveness thing even at that point. Um, Myself, because I as a father wasn't able to protect her, it didn't matter that it's unreasonable, I was at work, but the fact of the matter is you still feel that way, you're the father, and your mandate is to protect your children. And so I had to deal with that. Um, that I was a suspect um, myself, the, the loss of my employment at that time and my, what I thought was my calling, and then of course the police, and there's a lot of things that had to do with the police that uh, I'm not going to go into detail, but there were issues. When, they, the, uh, when it first happened and they came to him to find her at all. And uh, that was very hard to take and I had to forgive the cops for that one. 
for sure. For, forgive the justice system. The justice system was a process that we were not familiar with. We had never been involved with this, the justice system in any way, shape, or form. And so, does this thing really work? And, uh, and now, of course, we have this civil suit that I already mentioned. So, what did I have going for me? Well, I had a lot of things going for me also. I had God going for me, uh, being a believer, and... Um, knowing about forgiveness and working on that aspect of it. I had family and uh, I had credible. And the other thing is that I had my art. And uh, so uh, before I get into, into the art part, I want to talk a little bit about creativity and uh, where that works in and how it fits in with forgiveness. Now, first of all, I want to say that God invented creativity. Like, he is creative, and he is all creativity. In the beginning, God... In the beginning, God... He did. And uh, that was incredible. We, it's a kind of creation that we look at now and wonder about. We are awed by it, and it impresses us incredibly. And so, um, be creative because... So, God, uh, Genesis 1:26, moving on in that passage... So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So, male and female have something of creativity that God has in our lives. Me, I'm not creative. Especially when I'm teaching art, some child will say, I'm not creative. Or an adult will say, I'm not creative. It's a lie. You're creative. Really, you are. Did you make some creative efforts in getting dressed this morning for church? Yes, you did. How was my hair? Does my clothing match? Does my clothing, do my clothing match? And your wife tells you your socks don't fit with what you're wearing. Aha! So there's a creative, natural creative element in us. We are creative. Now, here's an idea. What if there would be no creativity in this world? Would that not be one boring place to be? Like, there would be no innovation. We would be continuing to repeat stuff again and again because we have no creativity. We would have, innovation would be really poor. We wouldn't be where we are at today and as a world and as a society and and all the creative things that are going on and what people are inventing and so on, it wouldn't be happening. Now, that's just a thought, but it's a bad, you know, it's a bad scene not to be creative. We aren't even used to it. We don't even accept that. We have to be creative on that end, right? And we have to survive. And if we aren't, if we don't, if we in some way are not creative in our own lives, we're not happy. We are just not feeling fulfilled. There's something wrong. We can't always put a finger on it, but part of it is, a huge part of it is, possibly we're not actually in a, having an effort to be creative. Now, we don't have to argue that God created as a very creative genius. Like, everything he does, he does uniquely. He, it's fresh, it's new. Like, look at the world. Like, there's a fish swimming deep in the ocean that has a tentacle over its head with a light in front of it. Like, God is surprisingly weird and interesting and creative. Like, when we say he's creative, it's also fun. 
stuff, and it's unique stuff, and it's surprising things, and that's what the kind of God we have. He is just simply creative. Um, uh, Proverbs, there's a verse in 18, 18 verse 15 says, an, intel, intel, ah, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. God is all about new things and learning, and he's about doing that with us, and he enjoys us and wants us to be fascinated with him. So that creativity makes us fascinated with God, and it's going to go on through all eternity. Can you imagine being fascinated towards God forever? That's how creative he is. Constantly. It'll be new stuff and interesting things. Now, a lot of times when we think about creativity, we think about art, you know, artsy things. We think about painting and we think about, you know, working with clay like I do. We think about dance, we think about music, those kind of things. But this is way beyond that. We're being creative in way more than that because a lot of us can't dance, right? And a lot of us can't paint. So what, what do us poor non-artist kind of people do? Well, we do a lot of creative things. There's, there's unending creativity. Uh, you might win a Nobel Peace Prize with something. You know, like, it's a career. It's how you do your job. Like, your mechanical skills, you're a genius, possibly. You could be. If that's your thing, you're creative in it. A teacher will, create creative, will teach creatively if that's their thing. So the things that you love and enjoy doing, and you do them creatively, is anything in life. It doesn't really matter what it is. We don't have to, you know, squish this all into being a painter or a dancer or even music. You know, that's where we usually go. But we go business, jobs, careers, technology, the whole thing. So um, we are creative, and we can't say we're not. It's a natural thing. It's a it's not literally DNA, but it is literally DNA. <laughs> but what is the most creative thing that God has ever done? I mean, we can admire, you know, the, the, the flowers around us and, and the beauty and the mountains and all that kind of stuff. But there is one thing that God has just taken our breath away and that, that in his creativity, and it's salvation. It's redemption. That he thought of this idea to give his son for us is the most creative and unique thing that he has ever done. And we have salvation, for by grace you, are, you have been saved through faith. And later on in that verse it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which means we are his art project. We, are, it, we know we're asked to be like him. Isn't that awesome? And that's his project. He is going to make us like him. That's his desire. Now, we know that God's creative in the other sense, too, that when Jesus was on earth, he was a likeness of God, and he was very creative. Just think about how he taught. Did he teach, you know, point by point, this is about uh, eternal life now, and point A is this, and the disciples sat on the hillside and went, oh, brother, do I have to write this down? No, he spoke in what? Parables. Are that easy, is it easy to, to teach in parables? No. no, it's not easy. And he did it naturally. It seemed so natural. And it was creative. And the parables he spoke are incredible. And their meanings. And how they, uh, how they connect with us as human beings. 
And he needed the Holy Spirit, of course, to do all these things. He made himself man. And his divinity was the Holy Spirit, just like us. And we are to be like him. And we are to be, are to be creative like him. So, we accept the gift of salvation, and then we, we decide on, am I going to be a forgiving person or not? That's our decision also. Christ forgave on the cross. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ spoke to the one beside him and said, today you will see me in paradise. Again, creatively, creatively, the thief on the cross. Be kind to one another, Ephesians 4.22, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So that is what we are asked to do. And for us to follow God, we need to do that. Because if we live in a world of unforgiveness in our own hearts and minds, if we are not forgiving, generally speaking, specifically or general, and we have unforgiveness in our lives, we're going to suffer the effects. And the first big effect is we have, we're building a barrier between us and a creative God. We're building a barrier. Unforgiveness is un, a lack of communication with God. There's going to be trouble with that because we're going to be angry and we're going to be hurt and we're being offended. And then we, are we forgiving or not? And if we are unforgiving, these will continue and they will grow in us and they will continue to place a deeper and greater barrier between us and who God is. And it could be exactly things like, well, there would be revenge ideas, there would be all kinds of things that, would, that come into it. And it even affects us physically. And we become sick, and we become ill, we experience pains, and we have trouble in the physical side of things. And then the creativity, the things that we love to do and are working at and do, do creatively, starts to get skewed because it's not Holy Spirit guided. It's not God directed. We're, in, we're out of communication with God. And then we wonder why, is things, why are things going so badly in the thing that I really like to do, my job or my career or, 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 or my art or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Because then it starts to get skewed and we, we don't have that light in us. We don't have that spirit in us. God is not with us in the same way. And there's a barrier. And so we will get stuck. And our creativity may, in time, even turn against God. Because now we're angry with God himself. We can't communicate him. He's left me. He hates me, etc., etc. So, the decision to forgive is up to us. And that's what will bring clarity, mental freedom, and connection and direction from God and his Holy Spirit. And then our, holy, and our creativity will grow. And our viewers, you as a creative person, will, will um, benefit from it. And the people who view you in your creative field will benefit from it and will be God-oriented. It will be prophetically oriented because there will be an overriding spiritual aura about everything you do. So, let's go now to my pieces. Next slide. Now, first of all, um, this is just kind of a conglomeration here. Um, we, uh, I moved into my studio at Clifton in, in 2010. We had the first uh, preliminary experience or justice experience with the preliminary hearing. 
the year before in September. So when I moved into my art studio, I just became, like I was so emotional. I finally heard the story of what happened. Up to that time, we did not know what had happened. It was a mystery. And we thought we'd have to live with that and die with that. But here, suddenly, the story came alive. And I came into my art studio in 2010 in June, and I was just emotionally wound up, and I was ready to do something, like to create. It just kind of oozed out. And I was so excited to be working in clay in a studio setting for the first time in my life, and so away I went. So the first piece I want to talk to you about is Foxy David. There he is. <clears throat> now, many of you know already that my hero is David, the biblical figure of David. And this is a picture of David, and um, I've given him a fox head. It's kind of a little bit of a, kind of lighten the humor on a very bad situation. And uh, he's using a spyglass. I wonder what he's doing, connected with our story. Well, what it was, was I had to understand why David did what he did with Bathsheba. How did that happen? With a man who was loved by God, called a man after God's own heart, and this is what happened. And so I was so actually hurt and angry, knowing my experience now and story, that David had done this. And so I had to work this through with him, about him. And uh, let's just look at the sculpture and the details of it a little bit to just uh, help us understand some things. Like I said, there's a fox head and there's the spyglass and he's doing the oogling thing. So he's, you know, uh, impure over there already. And uh, he's got uh, the sword in his hand, which is the power position that he had. In those days when a king gave an order, it was a command. Or if a, if a king asked a question or had a desire, it was a command. And so when he sent for Bathsheba, she had no idea she had to come. There was just no other way around it. And uh, because she knew that if he, she didn't come, his people would come and drag her out there. You know, so, so that was the kind of authority that the king had. And then you can see what he's sitting on, and that is a tombstone. And I did that simply because the story is just full of death and grief and grieving. And it's, uh, it's a very tough story. And so this is what I had to deal with and I had to think about. And so working with clay and ceramics, you take time doing this. this. This doesn't happen overnight. All of this takes uh, several weeks to make. And in the process, you're thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm working this through, and I'm working, how is this going to work? And so the, the prophetic, the, the thing that I actually had to deal with this was m with my own kind. How could a man do this to another family? And uh, men know that there's fathers, and still this, these things happen. 
and even in David's case, he did. And there were lots of consequences to this. And so essentially, I had to forgive manhood in general and the weakness of manhood, the weakness of the flesh, and how men break down and fall into temptation, no matter who they are, no matter how position, high of a position they have, no matter how they are revered by, by everybody f as seen as a f uh, follower of God. And this is what I had to forgive and understand. And that I too am weak. And this could happen to me. And I got to stay away from spy glasses. Yeah. Next one, Samson. Now, Samson, and you can see there's a kind of a, th a theme here, right? <laughs> Going on. So Samson had problems too. Um, and uh, you, here's the picture of him, or a figure of him standing. But he's got that yoke on and that harness on that he was wearing when he was turning the stones, right? And uh, he's got a jawbone in his left hand, and I've given him a bullhead because that's exactly what he was like. And um, he's standing on the millstones that he was uh, turning. And he spent his life basically resisting the Lord in many various ways. And you wonder how is it possible that God could use a man like that? And he was called to be a judge in Israel. He was supposed to be a leader, an example. And he was apparently a failure. And he did many things that are a problem. There's another slide, next slide. And this is how I've uh, indicated how he treated the ladies and he used them and abused them and used them for his own uh, benefits and so on. So my learning from this was that God worked patiently all Samson's life to bring him around, to try to have him understand that he needed to follow him in a, in a deeper way. And even though I was angry, and even though I was frustrated, and I wasn't living rightly either, I knew now, I could see from this, that God was tenderly working with me in so many various ways, and that he wanted me to come back to him in a full way and live a life of forgiveness. In the very last day of Samson's life, he turned to the Lord. And Lord, the God used him one more time. And so there's lessons here, all kinds of them, but one of them is don't put yourself in the penalty box when you sin against the Lord. When you ask for repentance to come back to him, he's right there. He was right there with Samson. And you don't have to wait a month or a year before you figure God can really use me or might use me. And that was my thing, you know, like, you know, God, I don't know if you'll ever use me again. And that's not what God's like. And so, yeah, he was forgiven, and we will see him in heaven with us. So, next slide, Jonah. Here we have Jonah in his broken boat. Now, I know this isn't exactly in line with the story particularly, but the, there's all kinds of things here that I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to say. First of all, Jonah, you can see, is a real macho guy. You know, he's been, he's been in the weight room. He's got the arms, shoulders. He's a tough man. I've given him a, a dog head, it's called a Rottweiler. And the reason I gave him that was because Rottweilers never give up. If they got a, if they got a lock on you with their, 
jaws, you're, they're not letting go. Jonah was a very uh, stubborn prophet. He was having a real good prophet, prophetic career in Israel, and then Claude did something drastic, something new, something different. <laughs> this is the nature of our God. And he asked him to become a missionary prophet to the very serious enemies of Israel, the Ninevites, cruel people who had done very cruel things to Israel. And Jonah did not want to go there. If Israel is not listening to me, why am I going to the Gentiles and to this terrible nation and prophesy to them? And he didn't like it. God asked him to do that, and, God, and Jonah said nothing. He didn't go to his family. There's no record of him going to the fellow prophets and saying, should I do this or shouldn't I? He just disappeared. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, 500 miles in that direction, and he went 2,000 miles in that direction to Gibraltar area and ran away from the Lord. He wanted to do his own thing. He was a man, and he was saying God doesn't know what he's doing, and he was angry with God. But despite all of this, despite all of this, God worked with this man, and he worked with him patiently throughout the whole period of time that he was running away from God. Now, this was my personal spiritual renewal guy. It was during this time that I was angry with God, and I told God that I needed you to do so. I, I promised God that I would read the scripture. I would, no, so I was going to memorize scripture if he would take care of my bitter, angry heart. So I kind of went like this. I didn't want to memorize Romans or something. It's too hard. <laughs> so I said to the Lord, you know, it's got to be a story. So I went through my Bible like this, opened it up, and it was the story of Jonah. And I, oh, I can do that. Yeah, no problem. I'll memorize Jonah. And so I started memorizing. And this wasn't a race or anything. I wasn't doing this high speed. I just memorized. And halfway through chapter one, I, it just hit me. Boom. And I laughed. And God and I had a good chuckle. You tricked me. You know, you tricked me. I am Jonah, for Pete's sake. Wow. And that was the beginning of my reformation, my, my spiritual renewal and my spiritual rebirth. And, and this is very special to me. And Jonah and his toughness was, in, you know, uh, God, God used all kinds of creative methods to try to work with him. I mean, even a fish. Like, who comes up with ideas like that? You know, and, 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 and Jonah, even at the end of the story, we're not sure if he's really, really back. But I did memorize the whole book. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> Takes 12 minutes. <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> Then uh, we have another one, Resting David. Oh, that's me. <laughs> well, you need a reference picture when you do something, get somebody resting, right? So let's watch this. Next slide. There he is. David had been running from Saul for seven years. Now, I don't really care where this is in the picture. I mean, after a few months, I'd be tired already. <laughs> situation. But uh, there were times where David needed a rest, and I needed a rest too. And I felt like I was overwhelmed by everything, and so this is where this piece came from. 
from all the overwhelming things that were happening in my life and I needed some rest. And, uh, and this uh, was my view of, of my expression of the fact. And, and in fact, there was a time where I was creating so fast and so quickly and so, so uh, with such intensity that suddenly I suddenly just got tired of going to the studio. And I thought, whoa, what happened? Did I, did I lose my art ability, like my, my, my wish for creating? Like what happened to me? And I couldn't figure it out for a long time. And I was really frustrated. You know, I thought I'd lost it. Like what happened? Because I, I realized I was tired. Every piece of art, art make, you have to make decisions. You have to work it through. And with clay, it doesn't matter what you're working with. What colors am I going to use? What am I gonna, you know, all these issues that come up when you create something. And I was tired. And I just had to take a rest. And that's what I, and that's what I did. Then we have, next slide, called Euphoria or Dancing David. Now, um, there was a time where in our, the 33 years, Wilma and I wondered, well, before 33 years, after this happened to us, we wondered if we'd ever laugh again. And we often discuss that. Are we happy yet? Uh, do you know that in our seventh year anniversary after, in 1984, when this happened, we went, as we usually often did, not usually, but often did, to the revolving restaurant. And uh, we sat there and we were sort of going through where we're at in our marriage and having a, a nice talk. And suddenly we found ourselves laughing out loud. And we kind of stopped and said, we're laughing. Oh, we better not tell anybody. This is going to be embarrassing because then people will think we're taking everything too lightly. You know, crazy thoughts. But that's how it was. And now, Dancing David, this is um, when he's coming. He's, uh, this is a pic, uh, an image of him dancing when they brought the, the, uh, when they brought the uh, ark back into Jerusalem. Okay. So you know what happened, right? His wife saw him out of the window and noticed that he wasn't wearing very much anymore. And as he was dancing, he was just throwing off the kingly robes and things. And uh, here he is dancing. Do you know that he's dancing somewhere else now? <clears throat> One of our art shows, he disappeared. Somebody stole him. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was just, a, nothing was broken. It wasn't like after hours or anything. It was during the art show, so somebody put him under his jacket and walked out with him or something, or in a bag, I don't know. I also noticed there was nobody there looking on the display. Where, where'd David go? <laughs> I walked over, did he fall off the display? Like, what happened? He was gone. So David is out there somewhere, dancing away. All right, seven weeks. Now, this is uh, a very tough sculpture to make. I thought about it a long time before I actually made it. I had the idea to do it. And I thought, oh, it's too intimate. It's too, uh, it's too hurtful. Uh, am I respecting Candace by doing this, my daughter? And so I just thought about it a long time. And then suddenly I said, hey, I'm an artist. I can do what I want. I can do crazy things. That's what artists do. And um, so that's what I did. So I 
put the arms together, I put the sleeves at the bottom, put the rope where she was, how she was tied, and, uh, but there's something wrong with the hands, eh? Are they Candace's hands? No. I had to find a reference picture for what a 13-year-old's hands look like. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And this is the piece that I grieved, I wept. I squeezed the clay through my fists. I did the grieving thing. And um, let me put it this way. Here's a verse, Romans 5, 5 to 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I finished this, I wasn't happy with uh, ending Candace's story this way. I felt I needed to make something else. And so I made this next slide, this next piece. And this is, uh, this is the, the arms again, but the rope is falling off. And the hands have become wings. And this is Candace's escape. This wasn't our hope. This wasn't our wish. I mean, when there's no other option, of course, this is the wish that we wish it would be, that she would be with her Lord. And that's the message of this particular piece. And that's how Candace's story will continue up in heaven. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Next slide is the, uh, while um, this is the first art show that I had, <clears throat> and uh, the curator, as we were preparing to have the art show, saw my, t my sketchbook that I had been drawing during the, the trial. So as, as we as a family were sitting in, in the viewing area, we all were doing things, and I was sketching. So he noticed my, my sketchbook, and he said, that has to be in the art show. I said, no way, these are like sketches. Like I had never even imagined. These are my basics for other things that I'm going to do. You know, like, or these are just my feelings right now, but they're not for an art show. He's insisted, he called it living art. <laughs> so there they are. So, um, next slide. So these are just some of the things that, uh, I, how I expressed my feelings. Uh, defense lawyers uh, were very difficult in the art, in, in, in the uh, in the jury, in the justice system. <laughs> and uh, when uh, you're on the stand and you're being questioned by the defense lawyer, this is how I envision the defense lawyer. It's a dangerous place to be. And this particular defense lawyer that we had had all kinds of antics, and he would lie. He would tell half-truths. He would mock you. He would act out in front of you. He would go to extremes to make you look silly and to embarrass you. And uh, I saw him like, the, like a terrorist. So that's, that's where I came up with that. Okay, next slide. 
But when there were hard things to listen to and watch, this is what I made. <laughs> One of the things that uh, was done was they, uh, they showed us a video of their interview of Mark Edward Grant when he had been arrested. And the, the TV was like 10 feet in front of us. And it was a big TV. And I thought at first, oh, I'm going to do a facial drawing of him, you know, the portrait. But when that started, uh, the portrait thing just disappeared. And I ended up making this. And so I was in the process of doing this, and my, my wonderful, amazing wife looked over to see what I was doing. She goes, wham! <laughs> what are you drawing? <laughs> no. So I guess for those who are, aren't seeing this, this is, for, this is Snoopy with his girlfriend on his doghouse and a lot of woodstocks flying around with flowers. So it's a very pleasant, happy scene of joy. And uh, so Wilma has apologized to me for that since then. <laughs> okay. Um, next slide. So one of the things that I also was exp exploring was evil in general. And uh, this is a detail of a large uh, charcoal drawing that I did about an angel defeating uh, a demonic figure. And um, this has to do with the fact that there's warfare, spiritual warfare going on. And we were very aware of that and uh, understood that, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers, and so on. The rest of the piece down below had to do with um, uh, the prayers of the saints coming up, and the prayers of the saints making it possible for demon, demonic forces to overcome evil. Uh, then we have the system. This is uh, of course, there are many systems in this world. There's a health system, there's educational system, church systems, there's government systems. And in this particular case, it's a ball and chain, so it's the justice system. But it can be applied to any kind of a system. But what is happening here is there's hands coming in and out of the system or doing things relating to the system. There's, there's hands that are praying, there's hands that are clawing, there's, there's anger, there's love, there's uh, escaping, going in and out, like whatever. So there's a lot of feeling having to do with this, and this is, this is, uh, this is the system that we were dealing with. And um, now we have this suit coming up claiming that Mark Ed Grant has been maliciously arrested and held in jail for 10 years. And so these uh, systems are now fighting with each other, or within it itself. And uh, so what can you do? But uh, uh, that's the way of the world. Then we have the next one. And this is how we felt sometimes and how I felt sometimes. Don't you sometimes feel like you just want to scream? And uh, there are many artists who have done creative work expressing the feelings and uh, issues of their own lives. And this is one of them, uh, Edward Munch. And uh, yeah, so. He called it his soul painting. And so that's part of the expression of, uh, of feeling who we are and where we're at. Next slide. And this is what I drew, again, one of those living drawings, life drawings in the, in the, in the courtroom. 
and this was my guardian angel over the whole place. Now, we declared the whole place uh, holy ground, and so, so I drew this uh, huge angel over, uh, present in the room during the trial. Uh, are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve and to take, and, to, and for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And now, I'm in my own studio, at my own home, and um, I've begun creating over there. And you can see my initial results over here. And I've had, I put this on Facebook, and would you believe asking people to give it a name? I've got tons of names now. <laughs> I just have to try and decide which one it's going to be. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. And, uh, and yet there's messages in his too because we have to remain alert in our spiritual lives. We have to continue to be watchful and we need to remember to be forgiving. Let me just, uh, I have a closing summary statement that I'm going to read you and I'm tinkering with this all the time. So every time I go over it, I change a word or two, but I'm just going to, uh, you know, it, today is today. So this is what it is today. The task of create the task of creative and Holy Spirit-infused artistic forgiveness is not to eliminate suffering, but to give a voice to it, to find a form in which it can be expressed and transformed. This expression is itself then transformational, easing the pain and guiding the expression, which is what forgiveness is all about. Creativity and forgiveness forms art, which transforms something unbearable into something with deeper meaning, which, can, which we can bear and even admire. Thank you for your patience. Lord bless you all. <laughs>